happens in your mind after you get married? You get lazy in thinking about your spouse. Either you don't think about them much at all because you're busy and you have other things to do, whether you're busy at home or busy in the workplace or wherever or both, and you stop thinking about their needs, desires, and delights in that special way that you used to or hopefully that you did. And so because they're not constantly on your mind, you're not constantly thinking about how you might provide for them and care for them, you slip away to sexual morality. I say, well, are are you saying that I need to think about them more than I think about Christ? No, you need to think about both. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Holiness of heart is next. Instead of ungodliness of heart, we have to have a holiness of heart. A heart that continually cultivates the joys and delights of holiness will not easily be led astray by the temptation towards lust. I mean, you you do understand that those who are most holy are also most happy. That's what I love about the book Holiness by J.C. Ryle. He constantly says this. Prune-faced holiness is, is a caricature. I'm being holy, but I really don't like it. If you're really pursuing holiness, you love it. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it lacks effort. You love it. And those who are most holy or seeking sanctification most diligently are those who are, in fact, most happy because they are being satisfied in God. That will give you a very good litmus test for whether your holiness is actually biblical holiness. If you hate it, if you can't say, I'm being holy, but I don't like it. Again, there's always a bit of us because we're sinful that wrestles with that. I know that. But if in general your pursuit of holiness is hard and cold and and arrogant and self-righteous and prune-faced and just like, it's it's the wrong kind of holiness. Do you guys understand that God is the happiest being ever? And by happy, you know what I mean. I'm not talking a party happy. I'm talking a true satisfaction and contentment at all times. There's no one as happy as God. He's eternally satisfied. And although he grieves over sin and he punishes sin and he, he recognizes, you, you, he can be completely and totally satisfied and ultimately joyful and still deal with sin and grieve over it and hate wickedness. And you can too. Right? Your, your, your hatred of sin doesn't mean that you lack satisfaction and joy and happiness in God. God is very happy in himself. And he was for all of eternity past. And he allowed us to share that happiness in, 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 our, in our history, in now and in the, in the future. And he'll be always happy and eternally satisfied with himself and then with us for the rest of eternity. When you, are, when you are happy, when you are satisfied, and that's what I mean by that term, when you are satisfied in God, it means you are pursuing holiness. And it means that you are, you are so greatly protected against immorality. People who are unsatisfied seek after this. You're on the internet, you're unsatisfied. 
just that sense of I need something else. And so this click and that click or whatever. Because if you're, if you're satisfied in God as you do those things, you don't need that stuff. You still need to protect and be, and be guarded. But you have to pursue this holiness, cultivate this fear of the Lord, which is engendered in what holiness truly is. And you will find yourself protected against sexual immorality, against every sin, of course, because holiness solves everything. I didn't say make everything easy. I didn't say turn around the circumstances in your life. It solves sexual morality because you're already satisfied. And you're, you're satisfied in, in your wife or in your husband, or you're satisfied in your single state, or having lost a wife or husband in your, in your widowed state. You are able to be happy and joyful there. Holiness enables you to do that. And then, fifthly, there's a diligence of heart that has to be cultivated. Instead of a laziness of heart, you have to cultivate diligence. And the careful pursuit of diligence in all areas of our lives allows us to build the proper strength necessary to resist sexual temptation and to actually do the hard work of tearing out the eyes and cutting off the hands, the metaphorical, radical amputation, as well as the radical pursuit of a passion for Christ. Proverbs 11.27, He who diligently seeks good finds favor, but he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. We diligently seek the good. We don't just try to not be lazy. We put into our life practices that direct us to diligence, and we seek to be accountable in pursuing that diligence regularly. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of, diligent, of the diligent is made fat. I love that. We, we don't need fat bodies. We need fat souls. You need a fat heart. That is, it's satisfied. That's the picture. It's had enough. It, it has no lack. That's the idea of a fat soul that you are completely satisfied again in God. And your diligence leads you to that. Far from your diligence leading to a difficult and, and you know, if I work so hard, I'm just always going to be working hard. And, and I, No, your diligence leads to the, the nourishment that is necessary to keep your soul from longing for immorality of any sort. The wife who sits at home and just wishes that her husband were different and she hasn't diligently pursued her marriage and diligently pursued loving him, even when he's can remains difficult, starts to then, she doesn't have a, a fat soul. And she starts to think and dream and consider other things. Even if she never turns to them, she will have sinned in this area. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. You see the contrast between diligence and hastiness? Some of you are really busy. But it's all hasty busyness. You're doing things you shouldn't do. You're doing them at the wrong times. You're doing them with the wrong people. So you're busy, hasty, 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 running here and there, but you're really lazy because you're not carefully considering what you ought to be doing and using your resources properly. So guys, put on this diligence that pursues the things of God and properly seeks after him, and you will guard your soul, you will guard your heart from sexual immorality. Now, Proverbs 4 is very clear. Why, is it, why, is, why are we talking about the heart so much? Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You have to cultivate your heart positively in all these areas if you are going to turn away and, and be protected against sexual immorality. And then, of course, all the other sins you wrestle with, that's the means of dealing with them as well. Now, there's another thing that's necessary on the positive side, and that's intentional ministry. So we have to cultivate our hearts. We have to have believing hearts. We have to have cultivated hearts but then we have to intentionally pursue ministry in the body of Christ. And here I'm not simply talking about finding the children's ministry position or hanging out with a youth group. I'm talking about first attendance. Yeah, it really starts there. You got to show up. 
You have to be with the body of Christ. Well, I'm part of that church. Fascinating. Another conversation with a guy, uh, Jason Davis and I were going up with him, and uh, he was very different than the other young man. He was he, we, he engaged us in conversation, and he's like, yeah, I go to, I'm going to such and such, and we ask the same question. You have a religious background? Well, not really, but I'm going to InterVarsity. I love InterVarsity. I'm like, great. What, what are you studying? Uh, he, he couldn't come up with it. He was wrestling. He was working really hard to try to come up with what they'd been studying. I'm sure we've been studying something. But then he was on and on about this great community. That, he goes, I don't go much. In fact, I haven't gone like at all this semester, I think he said, hardly at all. But it's a great group. Is that the way you feel about Grace Community Church? Of course, if you're sitting here, I'm talking to the wrong crowd. You're like, we're here. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, I go to Grace Community Church. That's a great place. You know, I make it you know, a couple Sundays out of the month. Wonderful spot. What are they studying? Ah, can't, I can't, can't quite get it back. <laughs> Now, I understand that that happens. You walk out of here, and you're like, I don't know what he talked about. But in general, if you're really engaged with the body, attending regularly, you know what's going on. You guys, that's first. You know what Hebrews 10.24 says. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And we didn't have time with that young man. I'll talk all about local church, and that's where he ought to be being, you know, ought to be and all this stuff. We said, look, go to your group at least. Go to, participate in this group if you're Bible studying and pick up your Bible and start reading it. Because that you need this, you guys, you need it. You need to attend. It doesn't mean you have to be here every time the doors are open. It means you are designing a life around being with the believers and you're doing everything possible to do that. Starts with Sunday morning, works its way out in the other things. But number two, you can't just be attending. There needs to be an engagement in the one another's. We, you move from attendance to one anothering, Second Thessalonians 1.3. We ought always to give thanks to God for your brethren as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. Isn't that good? He's going, look, Thessalonians, you're doing such a great job. Your faith is greatly enlarged. You're growing in your exercise of faith, but that your, the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. Is that your experience? In this church, the love of each one of you is growing ever greater towards one another. That's other members of the body. And your love is growing and growing and growing. And your love does not grow if you are not engaged and engaged and engaged. And so you, you try at a fellowship group and you don't just show, show up and sit there. You find a family to, to, to love on a little bit and you encourage them and strengthen them. And you get together and you talk about the things of the Lord and you engage and develop and deepen. You know, Chris, are you saying that that will protect you from sexual immorality? Absolutely. You're engaged with other believers. They're encouraging you. You're strengthened. You're built up. I watch people separate out from the periphery. And this young man actually said that himself. He goes, man, there's a lot of dangers out there. I, you know, I, I need that community. He wasn't partaking of it. <laughs> he goes, but I need it. Yeah, so do you. I'm not just hanging out with people. Seems like maybe that was his problem. He's not connected with anybody. In a church, that's what we do. And then we have accountability as a result of that. That's number three. So attendance, one another's, and then accountability. But encourage one another, says Hebrews 3.13, day after day. This is the positive side. Don't just always tell me, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning, stop sinning. No, encourage one another. And certainly that involves, don't sin, but it also involves, look what's going on. That's so great. Wow, it's so exciting to see you here. It's so exciting to see you with your Bible open. Great to have you at small group. We could, I was able to pray with you. It's wonderful to, to you know, do dinner with you on that Thursday night. It's neat to see your family growing. I'm excited to see your wife growing. It's, it's a joy to see you know, your husband pursuing the things of the Lord. Your children seem to be flourishing, or your children are a mess, but you're working hard. 
Because accountability is that kind of thing, encouraging one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, that is, do it now, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is how you pursue one another. And that's done within the structure of the local church. It's accountability. And then evangelism. I mean, really, Chris, you're going to tie in evangelism with sexual purity? Absolutely again. You're not vital in your faith, not longing to pour it out towards others, tell them what's going on, tell them the greatness of Christ. That indicates that your love of and pursuit of the greatness of Christ is less than it should be. It's a good way to judge your fire for the Lord is if you are willing, at least willing, (laughs) and trying as best you can to get it out there. You know, the whole day on the, on the ski lifts, I, I got two good runs, two good ski lifts up when I was with someone. There's another time I went up, I just, you know, I tried to do a little small talk, didn't seem like they were real open, and I, I blew my opportunity. So it was just all success. But by the Lord's grace, I was kind of digging into each time, well, yeah, let's get it done. And, and for you, it works the same. You, you just keep working on it. Colossians 4, 4, 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. This is an evangelism verse. Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Is that what you're longing for? Your evangelism, your fire for what the Lord has done for you and to declare his greatness will certainly guard your heart against portraying to the world or at least at least destroying or harming the, the image of that Christ you love in their eyes through your sexual impurity. And by the way, if you're single here this morning, Ben, this, these are your pursuits. You are pursuing a, certainly you must have a, a believing heart. You must be cultivating your heart. You must be active and involved in the body of Christ. Because that's where the Lord will then, if he desires for you to be single, he will keep you single and he will give you the strength to do that. And you can pursue him in these ways for the rest of your life. If he would have you to be married, then in these things, you will ultimately find the relationship that would please and honor the Lord. I'm not saying you have to find it in this church, just simply that your participation in this church will lay the groundwork for a healthy relationship with someone else. But that's not your pursuit directly. These are your pursuit. And then the Lord, as he brings it, you learn how to do that. And that's, again, Wednesday night is where we'll talk more about how specifically to transition from direct pursuit of the things of the Lord in this way towards seeking a relationship. But now I'd like to talk specifically, and, and again, these things, it's not that those who are single amongst us or uh, you know, unmarried in the sense that they're still at home, uh, my, college, or my high school students, but now we're going to move towards how, how married couples need to intentionally pursue affection towards one another. And, of course, the unmarried need to be listening carefully to this because this is what you will need to do when you get married. If you are going to positively avoid sexual immorality, you are going to have to purposely pursue your spouse first with a continual consideration of your spouse's needs, desires, and delights. A continual consideration of your spouse's needs, desires, and delights. You know what happens in your mind after you get married? You get lazy in thinking about your spouse. Either you don't think about them much at all because you're busy and you have other things to do, whether you're busy at home or busy in the workplace or wherever or both, and you stop thinking about their needs, desires, and delights in that special way that you used to or hopefully that you did. And so because they're not constantly on your mind, you're not constantly thinking about how you might provide for them and care for them, you slip away to sexual morality. I say, well, are are you saying that I need to think about them more than I think about Christ? No, you need to think about both. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Fascinating, fascinating passage. 1 Corinthians 7. He's talking about marriage and singleness. He's talking about some of the benefits of singleness that you are, your attention is undivided. 
It's focused only on the Lord. Remember, singers, I took you up to the last point and said, that's where you are. Pursue it. But if you're a believer, I've got another, if you're, if you're married, I've got another point for you that the Apostle Paul brings up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. He says, and those who use the world as those who did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away, verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. He's speaking about the benefits of singleness. And particularly because of the great persecution that was happening right then. So to get married was a very difficult thing because the persecution was they were being killed and there was, there was this intensity of situation. But anyway, he says that one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how we may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his, in, his interests are divided. Now again, he's putting it in the terms of being single is a good thing. But you understand also what he's commanding there. If you are married then your interests are supposed to be where? Yes, on the things of the Lord. Yes, on ministry, but also on pleasing your spouse. Not apart from the Lord, not in some ungodly way, but you are commanded to please your spouse. See, some on the more spiritual side, I just do spiritual things, and whether my spouse is pleased or not, I don't care. Notice he says worldly things. He's not talking about ungodly things. He's talking about things like they have a house, something to eat, maybe even furnishing that house nicely. They have desires, they have needs, and you're, you're focused on those as you are focused on the things of the Lord. Husbands and wives, you're commanded to do that. Now, some of you are overly focused. You focus too much on your spouse, oftentimes because you're focusing on you. You want something from them, but you're not, you're not focused on the Lord. This can go awry both ways. But be careful. You are commanded as a spouse to think about the needs, how you may please your husband or wife. Do you think about that a lot? Is it constantly on your mind, even as you think about the things of the Lord as well? It ought to be. You are commanded to do that. See, most of you just took that in a negative sense. I got to think about, you know, if I'm, if, I'm not, if I'm not single, then I got to think about my spouse. No, it's a positive sense. You've been given this to do, to please them. And Ephesians 5 puts it, you're familiar. I took you to 1 Corinthians because that's often seen negatively. No, it's really a positive command to believers who are married, please your spouse. But Ephesians 5, you're more familiar with that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, and hear the words that I'm looking for, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, please understand, when the command of the husbands is to love, it doesn't mean they're the only ones that love. Well, wives, you don't have to love. You just submit and help, and you don't love. It's also true that when the command is to husbands to love, that there isn't any area in which they can come underneath their wives in the sense that they would be willing to give up themselves for their wives. They don't abandon the role that they have. But it's not like, well, I never submit to you. I'll never do anything you say. I'm the man. Just as the wife wouldn't look and say, I don't have to love you. That's not my command. Sorry. No, the husband leads in this. He demonstrates what this is like. And he nourishes and cherishes his wife. Is, but it is not that the wife also nourishes and cherishes her husband, warms him, cares for him the same. Now, fascinating is that so often it's the woman that seems to be pursuing that, and the man won't do it at all. One of the reasons the command comes to the man here. You are to nourish and cherish your wife. She has to be warmed, the very physical terms, warmed and cared for by you, as you would bring a nursing mother to feed or a nursing baby to feed. That's a gentle cherishing. Husbands, how are you doing? But wives, how are you doing as well? Because this can flip back the other way. With wives that are like, I don't nourish and cherish my husband. I got things to do. No, we, we care for one another. That's constantly thinking about the needs. 
Yes, it has to do with washing them with the word husbands, but also wives encouraging your husbands through the word and that you do this graciously and gently and that you don't bash them over the head with the truth of the word of God, but you live it out in front of them and you demonstrate these realities and you're thinking constantly, how might I show my wife or show my husband what this principle looks like fleshed out? It's constantly on your mind because that's what we're talking about when it comes to considering their needs. And it might even, that now that's kind of the spiritual side of it. It might also be, well, you know, my wife, she would really benefit from a new mattress. This strikes home because my wife would like a new mattress. <laughs> so, well, well, I need to work on this because we've had the same one since we got married, 25 years. Well, I mean, not quite that long. I think we got it maybe five years into marriage, something like that. It was 15 years old when we got it. Thank you. <laughs> Those are things I need to think about. And I can get real spiritual. I'm going to wash you with a word. How about washing me with a new mattress? That'd be really helpful. And although we giggle, the problem is that some of you are forgetting to do that. And you're not carefully considering the needs, desires, and delights of your spouse. And you are easy prey for sexual immorality. And it may be that some of you are thinking, well, you don't know my spouse. They don't deserve that. The Bible doesn't say they deserve it. In fact, it's exactly the opposite, right? You do it because they're unworthy. It's unconditional. And my spouse has been hard on me. That might be true. You continue to consider their needs, their desires, their delights. You sit down at night knowing that they need to be encouraged and strengthened, even if they haven't said it, and you just grab, grab their hand and you say, can we pray together for a couple minutes? You don't bust out the iPads and get the 20 lists. and You, know, you just say, well, can we just pray? Can we seek the Lord together? And you nourish and cherish your spouse in that way. For one, it'll be the, the, the impetus and, and the diligence to do that. For another, it will be the willingness to say, I'll stop what I'm doing or I'm really tired and I'll, I'll join you in that. Depend, it, it, husband or wife, it can flip-flop back and forth. These things that are just gentle pieces of what you need to do in order to consider their needs. Second would be continual thankfulness for your spouse in your thoughts. Not just thinking anything about them, but constantly thanking God for who they are and what they have done. Thinking about the goodness of God and giving you to them. And, and carefully bringing before your mind everything about them that is good and right and holy and pure. It doesn't mean you ignore sin and that you wouldn't deal with that as you need to or ignore problems, understanding that those problems are there. But you consider the goodness of God and what he has given you in your spouse and you choose to thank him for that over and over. You see them as a great and precious jewel that God has given you, even if they're unbelieving, even if they're wrestling and struggling with sin. You are to view them this way because this is who they are to you as your spouse. You've, you have married them and you have told them this is how you will view them in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. And that doesn't shut off like, this is really bad, this is really sick, this is really unhealthy, this is really not good. And we continue to hold them in our minds this way. How, how well are you doing? Instead of thinking about, well, they didn't do the finances right, and they aren't doing this, and they're lazy in this area, and they haven't responded to me physically like this, and I wanted all of these things, and they're not treating the children right, and, and is that you could come up with a million things. Instead, will you choose to be thankful? Even as you would need to work through and, and work on those things. You need to have a continual friendship with your spouse in practice. A continual friendship with your spouse. Song of Solomon 5.16. I've read this verse several times. His mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Have you stopped cultivating a friendship with your husband or wife? Do you call or text them during the day if your work at all allows this? 
I can't get into all the circumstances, but Elisa's had this really, you know, dumb phone for a, a pr- pretty much all our marriage. Finally, I got a nicer phone. I got that through the church. They, it, we put all of the phone plans underneath for the, for the staff underneath the church. So I've got this nice, you know, smartphone and she's left with this dumb phone that I try to, you know, if I try to put a little emoticon on it, it would just say, uh, improper content and message. You know, can't be read. Well, now we, she has a nicer phone now. Let's put it that way. And this really cool thing we get to do back to these little emoticons on, on there. I mean, before you had to figure out all the dots and dashes and stuff to do that, and I, I can't get that all figured out. But now I can just look through for the perfect little smiley face, the little kissy face, and you put them all together. I asked her to cut my hair the other day, so you've got this guy with lots of hair, then scissors, and then this baby with no hair. <laughs> so things are, those are a joy. And she responds back with these little emoticons. It's, it's, it's a little thing. And some of you are going, we would never do that. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know how your friendship fleshes itself out, but that's one of the ways that ours does. And some of you, I can't do that at work. I have the privilege of having times when I can do that. You guys, do you call? Do you text? Do you, do you build that friendship? Do you write notes? That's, I mean, that's old-fashioned. We write texts. but I, do, I mean, write a handwritten notes sometimes? Now, I've talked about all the other things. I'm not saying if you write a couple notes and do some emoticons, you'll solve your problem with sexual morality. Hear me. I'm saying you go a long way to developing a friendship, which will do that, or certainly will help you do that. Going on dates. I know you've read all the books, date night every week. That'd be wonderful. I hope you can do that. We had a time in our life when we could do that because Josiah was at home and he could watch the girls. Now he's out most of the time, so we have to like pay people now. We feel your pain. We know how it is. And we don't go out quite as much as we did. It works a little harder to get everything all arranged because we don't have our believe-in babysitter. Because it's still worth going and doing and setting those times aside so that, oh, by the way, they, they just sent on the opportunity sheet, I think our, our girls in the youth group put together a babysitting team. Make use of that. Give them a call. Put your kids somewhere else or have them come so that you can go and be together, develop your friendship. Getting presents, flowers. And, you know, Alicia doesn't always appreciate flowers. I'll bring them home and she's like, you spent a lot of money on that. Could you have done something else? <laughs> so there's times when I put the flowers away. Or I don't, bring, I don't buy them. And instead I go home and say, hey, here's some extra money for groceries. Or, you know, or just I'll give you a hug and kiss instead of the flowers. Sometimes they're appropriate. I kind of have to know the mood. You know how that goes. That's right and good. I'm supposed to figure that out. Is, is this day for flowers or not day for flowers? Again, I, I think most of you know what I'm talking about. It works back the other way, too, with gifts and things like that. It's not just men, men to women. It's not just women that are fickle, believe me. But nonetheless, you guys, learn how to do that as, as developing a friendship. Take a weekend away. You know, we do not have money for a weekend away. Well, you might not. There's a lot of, there tends to be enough money maybe floating around even in your extended family, all those gifts they get you for Christmas. Say, look, just give us some money because we'd like to go out to a hotel for a weekend. Elisa and I, particularly since we got our little ones, we don't go very far away. And so we'll get a hotel in Farragut and we'll go for two nights. And we're not, we're closed so we can get back. And it's not a Motel 6. Uh, You know, here, babe, let's go to the Motel 6. Thanks, let's go home. (laughs) Just nice enough that it, it passes. And I, again, is that going to save your marriage? Well, probably not. Is that going to help build it that it might not get in a place where it needs to be saved? It might. And many of you could probably do something like that. You, you work it out. You do the thing that you would do. Do housework when you come home. That's mostly going to be for men. Rarely do I have to say, women, you better do housework when you come home. <laughs> All right. Some, yes. But you guys, bottom line is play games together. Develop your, your friendship so that you might do these things in such a way that deepens your love. And then the last one here. I've saved it for last, not because it's certainly most important, but because this is what 
oftentimes people can think of when it says, well, if we're going to develop, if we're not going to be sexually impure, we're going to have to spend a lot of time developing our physical intimacy. You are. But if you aren't doing some of those other things first, considering their needs and desires, developing a friendship, then this one is going to be very difficult to do. But you need to deepen your love of your spouse and your physical intimacy. We'll kind of end our reading of verses and end this morning with this verse from Song of Solomon. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. That's the wife speaking to the, or really the, the, the future of the wife-to-be speaking to, uh, excuse me, the, the husband speaking to the wife. Your eyes are like doves, my dear. You probably don't say that to your wife, but something. How beautiful you are. And then she says, how handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. luxuriant. It's not talking about the couch in the living room. Yes, this is something to be cultivated. And I still realize that there are some of you who sit and listen to this and go, we're not there yet. You need to progress and work so that these things might again be said and pursued amongst you. It takes great communication. As I said, you're going to have to work these things out. It might be with some mediation. It's going to take some romance. Like, romance, come on, where do you see that in the Bible? I just read you Song of Solomon. It's there when it's related to marriage. And it looks different for some of you. You don't say words like, my dove. <laughs> you, you probably get that. You say the things that would, would appeal to your wife or to your husband. There's a consistency that needs to be involved when it comes to your physical intimacy. You have to work that out. I'm not giving you times and frequencies. I'm saying there needs to be consistency involved with that. There's a selflessness involved with that. I'm talking about as you actually participate together. I'm not talking about the selflessness. You know, there is a time when you, when you, you, know, when you desire to pursue that, and your spouse says, not at this time, where you selflessly say, I won't pursue it at this time. But hear me carefully. I'm not saying the selflessness which says, well, they just really don't want to engage in that and that it's hard for them, so I won't engage in it. That's not selflessness. That's ultimately selfishness because it's very hard to do. They've told you, well, we don't want to do this, and you've given into that. You can't. There has to be a gracious, gentle, slow, continual pursuit of we need to keep working on this. But as you are engaging in physical intimacy, there is a selflessness which gives to one another back and forth. There's a gentleness. A gentleness that is absolutely necessary as you, as you are talking about and pursuing and involved in physical intimacy. And then perhaps greatest of all, this patience. It's patience. I mean, at least I've been married for 25 years. There's great patience still necessary as we work through these things and are involved together. Yes, if you're impatient, it's got to happen now. These things, I mean, you're not going to cultivate this together. Great patience required so that you might be able to truly cultivate the kind of physical intimacy which would be pleasing to the Lord. So as we, as we finish up, here's, here's the question. Two questions. Are you fleeing immorality? Running as far and as fast away as you can from those things which would cause you harm. But are you also pursuing godliness? Are you glorifying God in your body? Pursuing the, the attitudes of heart and the, and the, and the actions and mind that would enable you to, as, a, as single, stay holy and pure, preparing yourself for the time the Lord would have you be married, if he would, and then as married couples, pursuing this in such a way that causes the Lord to be honored in purity in your marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the precious privilege that we have of reflecting your character and nature by being pure. And I pray that you would help us long to do this, that it would be our passion to glorify you in our bodies as we properly engage in physical intimacy, as we properly withhold from it for those who are not married. Lord, I pray that you would grant us grace to accomplish these things in such a way that people would see our Father who is in heaven, 
and they would glorify you. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.